Hello and welcome to another episode of your favourite science program. I'm making some assumptions there, but it is Lost in Science. Hooray! <laughs> well, it's our favourite science program. It's definitely our favourite yeah. science program. Um, no, just kidding. Of course it is. <laughs> Claire, you're either on Team Lost in Science or you're not. I don't know. <laughs> Anyway, we have, a, we have a bumper show for you today. Every show is a bumper show. Um, this week... Oh, hi. My name is Chris. This week, I am going to be talking about music. Uh, if it be the food of love, play on, as Shakespeare said. But is music the same throughout the world? What is music? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I would have assumed that uh, it might not be the same everywhere, but all cultures do have music. Well, this is what we're trying to find out. Do cultures have music and how different is it throughout the world? And we are going to be playing some music from around the world just to find out. Won't that be fun? It will be fun. Excellent. Claire, what have you got for us? Well, as um, as you know, Chris, fires are burning all throughout New South Wales and Queensland. And one species that has been hit particularly hard is the koala in the north coast and the Blue Mountains of New South Wales. Um, there's been a New South Wales Upper House inquiry into um, the protection of the koala and some scientists have come up with some different ideas about how to protect them moving forward. So I'm going to be talking a bit about that. Excellent. Uh, sounds like a very important and timely story. Stu, how about you? Well, uh, it's another story that's been in the news, but probably in a distant background of the news, is that in China, some scientists have, well, actually produced uh, pig monkey chimeras. Chimera being the sort of like monster that was what, like half-half of two different monsters? Yeah, so a chimera is is uh, an organism that has, you know, the, gene, the genes of two different organisms in it. Monkey so, pig. So why would they be trying to breed monkey pigs? Well, I'm going to go into that in some detail, but there does, is there is a reason for doing it. It's it not does just sound like they, the kind of thing that gives science a bad name, mm. I've got to say. Look, there are, you know, quite a few ethical questions that it raises, but uh, we'll, we'll have a look at what are the issues around these monkey-pig hybrids. Okay, normally say I can't wait for that, but I, I have got a bit of trepidation. But anyway, <laughs> on with the show. So Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, you've heard of him, American poet? Possibly. No, I can't, I can't say I have. Okay. Uh, the, the name Longfellow sounds familiar. Sounds like a pirate, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 I but mean, that's two words you know put together. No, no, no. The name, I'm sure, I'm sure I've heard of a poet called Longfellow. Neville Longbottom. Now, there's no. a name you can get behind. From literature. <laughs> From literature. Okay, we're getting too, too distracted here because this okay, is just like an introduction right. to my story. <laughs> he said, famously said, music is the universal language of mankind. Did he? Yes. But is not, it true? Not in one of his poems, though, because it doesn't even rhyme. Oh, you know, I mean, it unites us all. We've all, like, traditions and cultures around the world have music. And you can communicate via music maybe easier than you can with languages. I don't know. Maybe he's onto something. Well, he could be onto something. And some scientists decided to find out whether he was onto something. Oh. oh good yeah. on them. Take, are they physicists? Take that personally. Now, there was a study recently published in the journal Science by researchers from Harvard University. I actually didn't look up what discipline they were originally from, not just from Harvard, but they have examined songs from across the world to find out exactly how universal music is. 
but also try and measure how universal and it is and how diverse it is. So they're trying to quantify things. Um, I don't know if you've seen the movie Dead Poets Society. Also taking the fun out of yeah. everything. <laughs> you've seen the movie Dead Poets Society where they try and do the graph of of how good a poem is. Oh yeah, by, oh, yeah, by the yeah, you measure all of these individual yeah. components yeah. of a poem, and that will give you the answer. Of That's how basically good the what poem this study is, is about. Yeah, okay. Okay. So what they did is they use an ethnographic database called E. HRAF. It's the Electronic Human Relations Area Files, which has a whole lot of like data on all these different societies and cultures around the world. There are 315 societies recorded in this database, and in the the notes, that all but all but six of them had music from that culture described. So the six remaining ones were the the Turkmen, Dominican, Hazara, Pamir, Tajik, and Gorbat peoples. So the researchers then went and checked up on them outside this database and found out, yes, they do indeed have music too, unsurprisingly. So they had the unsurprising discovery that everyone has music. It would it would be quite a surprise to find, you know, a, a lost culture that didn't have any music at all because yeah. you could just blow their minds by just coming in and singing a song for them. But you've got to check, Stu. You've got to check. Yeah, yeah well, you've yeah. got to ask, yeah. yeah. So the next question was, how different is music around the world? Because it can sound very different from, from culture to culture. Um, so they set out to quantify exactly how diverse uh, their music was. What they did, um, they had 4,709 descriptions of song performances in this database, and they managed to rank them along three dimensions. They, so they ranked them according to the formality of the song, the level of arousal, um, and the religiosity Okay. Uh, okay. And they found that these yeah. three dimensions were able to describe um, all the different music, basically. Right. And what they found that there was indeed, as you'd expect, a lot of variation across the world. Um, but there was more variability within cultures than between cultures. Uh, so they found that, yeah, that there is still that kind of similarities, that the, most of the diversity is, is within the actual music themselves. And there are also other similarities in the way that music was constructed. Um, most cultures use like a small set of basic notes um, based on like a home kind of tone sort of or pitch, basically. So there's a similar kind of way that music is built up in each society. So far, all well and good. This is not terribly surprising stuff, yeah. is it? But it's interesting that they've, yeah. they've gone to this, this exhaustive trouble. Um, but one of the most interesting things, though, was that they also looked to see, like, similarities in music. And they found that, you know, that if music had a certain function, then it was kind of similar across cultures. Uh, or similar enough that people could tell. So they had, like, their four song types that they looked at. They looked at dance songs. Yeah. Dance, um, dance music. Yep. Lullabies. Oh, yeah. Love songs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And dedications. <laughs> no. Oh, okay. And songs of healing. Right. Would that, that would sort of be funeral music or... Oh, songs to heal someone. It's something we don't actually Is have that... so much in the, in the West. So where does but... a breakup song go? Does that go into a love song and dedication or does that go into a healing song? Actually, we might get, we might get to that because mm. there, that is an interesting, that is an interesting question. Or, or is, is a healing song like, Doctor, Doctor, Give Me the News, I've Got a Bad Case of Loving You by Robert Palmer? <laughs> it could, it could is well that a healing be. song? I yep. reckon that could be in a love song. Oh, yeah, right. Okay, yeah. Yep, yep. Misunderstood the assignment. Yeah. <laughs> So they basically what they did is they got people to listen to the songs from cultures they weren't familiar with and see if they could identify which type a given song was. And they were often able to do it. So, look, I thought we would give it a go ourselves. Yes. Don't you like that? Oh, yeah. in-studio experimentation. With- so 
You can do this at home. You can go to the website uh, www.themusiclab.org and follow the links. They've got other games and stuff you can play as well. But they've also got all their data from this project, including an interactive graph which has all recordings on it that you can then pick one and listen to it. So I'm just going to play you a couple and you've got to tell me what genre of music you think it is. Okay? All right, so I'm going to pick the first one. Um, this is, uh, this is from North America. It is, uh, the Ojibwa Society. And so we'll just put that through now. All right. What do you think that was? Dance music. That is totally dance music. Yeah. That was a pretty easy one, wasn't it? That was yeah. great. Okay. Uh, all right. I'll pick you, uh, pick you a harder one. Here we go. Um, <laughs> um, let's try this one. This is, uh, this is from the Lardil Society from North Queensland. <laughs> What do you think of that one? Is that healing music? No. No. Try another guess. Is that a lullaby? That is a lullaby. Huh. That is a lullaby track. But yeah, look, it's just, it can be hard to tell some of them. They're not as obvious. The dance was generally, was generally pretty easy. Uh, we'll do one more. We'll do one more. This is... It's from Yunnan in China, the Bay Society. <laughs> And what do you think of that one? That's a love song. Yeah, I think that that's is a definitely love song. a love song. Yeah. Yeah. So look, we had a pretty good. You know, we had like two, right? I think I got three out of three. Yeah. 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 We got yeah. two out of three. No, that sounds like that's pretty roughly like similar statistics to what they got in the study. Yeah. Um, yeah, and some of them are trickier than others. Like um, love songs are complicated because, as you said, Claire, you know, where do you put a breakup song? Um, love songs have this all different kinds, you know, they can be fast tempo, they can be slow tempo, whereas dance music is often gone up to a, a dance beat, clearly, mm. and lullabies are often slower and this sort of thing. But yeah, it's, it's interesting that even like a culture you're not familiar with, you can hear with it, again, with a musical scale you're not familiar with, you can still listen to it and kind of work out what people are trying to communicate. So yeah, as I said, you can look that up yourself, you can play with some of this music and yeah, enjoy um, the, the diversity of international music and promote international harmony quite literally. I'm theoretical physicist Sean Carroll and you're listening to Lost in Science, which is spreading scientific knowledge across multiple branches of the wave function of the universe. <laughs> So it's a pretty devastating time in New South Wales, Queensland and the ACT at the moment. There are over 80 fires burning, um, over 200 million hectares with a lot of those fires, actually the majority of those fires burning out of control. Um, There's been loss of life, hundreds of houses have burnt and um, 
parts of the country are burning at, that have been rainforest for thousands of years. So it's it's really concerning and really devastating and um, is leaving most of the states in a thick smog of smoke as well. But one particular species has been hit especially hard, the koalas of the north coast of Australia. So it's estimated that over 2,000 koalas have perished in the fires of the mid-north coast of Australia, so around Coffs Harbour, Port Macquarie Way. Um, with an estimated one-third of the total koala habitat lost to fire. So we're talking quite big um, big swathes of koala land being lost. So koalas can only eat certain eucalyptus leaves, isn't it? That's right, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, certain eucalyptus leaves. Uh, I think there's something like around, f- don't quote me on this, Stu, but around 15 or so species of, of eucalyptus. But, but they certainly can't live just anywhere. Yeah, they have to be around... Yeah. Plants they can actually digest, and a yeah. lot of them sounds like have burnt. Yeah. Well, also, I mean, if the fire's going through, the koalas are in the trees. I mean, well, yeah, that's that right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. They're really vulnerable to injury by bushfires. Yeah, they're um, slow moving compared to you know compared to their hopping and um, running sort mm. of cousins, and kind of like hiding in a burrow cousins. or something like yeah, that. Yeah, indeed. Um, and the heat burns their paws, their fur. Um, and then you've got superheated air that can cause internal damage um, to their lungs. And as you said, you know, they're in the canopy and that's where the fire travels. Mm. So um, it, that can be really devastating to them as well. So there's a New South Wales Upper House inquiry into the state and management of the koala populations. And it's putting some of the conservation efforts into sharp, fo- sharp focus and sort of reevaluating, okay, what's next? How are we going to protect what we've got left? Um, wildlife groups and carers at the moment, you know, it's becoming apparent that they're grossly underfunded and unprepared to manage um, the remaining koalas in places like the Blue Mountains and the Mid-North Coast. And um, some some protocols and processes and future plans really need to be put into effect now. Um, there's even been some reporting around these fires that the koala populations are so badly um, affected and destroyed that the species... Um, is functionally extinct. That's what's being reported anyway. Um, so, uh, i.e., the number of koalas are so low that a viable population um, is is pretty much functionally extinct. They're not going to be able to survive um, by the fact that they don't have the genetics necessary so right. just to reduce, survive long term. Reduce the genetic diversity to such a point that it may not be able to recover. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Although a lot of scientists are saying this is not necessarily right. true, but a question around how these uh, fragmented populations are going to be managed into the future um, is certainly now of the utmost importance. Yeah. So not functionally extinct, but how are we going to manage them into the future? But there are there are koalas elsewhere in Australia though as well. There certainly are. And yeah. Are they the same species, or would you be able to, you know, move them around? Yeah. Well, that's that's one of the interesting conversations now. It's like, well, how are we going to maximise the genetic yep. um, potential of the remaining koalas in the whole of Australia? So, uh, yeah, a conversation um, piece was published on December ten by researchers um, who from 
different areas of conservation around the east coast of Australia and it highlighted the uh, importance of safeguarding the genetic diversity of koalas and reducing the risk of inbreeding, um, which is what sort of happens when you have really small populations of um, of koalas or any sort of species and you get those genetic bottlenecks. So mm. going from large numbers of a species and then you get a really small number and then they breed out from there, but you still have low genetic diversity. Yeah. Um, so these scientists are suggesting we should take a lesson from the botanical gardens, take a lesson from um, botanists indeed, who routinely freeze genetic material of seed banks um, and start um, routinely collecting and freezing genetic materials from koalas. So koala sperm and koala eggs and embryos to make sure that we are preserving genetic diversity ahead of any future population crashes, which is an interesting way forward. It is. Yeah. So, yeah, like I said, you know, when you've got fires leading to isolated populations of koalas, um, you might have genetic bottlenecks, but if you've got – if you're maintaining – um, as much genetic diversity as possible, yeah. then hopefully you're going to be able to um, repopulate those So those, those sort of areas. things could be used for like um, like artificial insemination, that kind of stuff. We're not talking about, say, you know, cryogenics freezing and hoping some future technology will be able to resurrect koalas. We're actually, free, you know, freezing reproductive material that then can be used with known techniques. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that's an interesting point because um, the authors are saying it's not going to be as easy as freezing seeds, obviously. Um, there are some artificial reproduction methods for koalas and marsupials generally, and the area is really developing quite quickly. For example, scientists have collected uh, fresh sperm and artificially inseminated zoo koalas, um, which has re- resulted in a live birth okay. um, of a koala. But uh, the technology is lagging in terms of being able to preserve, um, you know, uh, eggs and sperm long term in a in a freezer. So that technology is not quite there yet. Right. Um, so some of the parts of the process exist, um, but other parts are sort of like, okay, well, we need to do more. We need to sort of start channeling our funds into this. Um, so that's quite interesting um, and potentially a way forward to preserve the koalas that are left and considering there has seemed to be a really sort of huge outpouring of community, um, community, you know, worry and, and, and concern about the future of the koala, um, which has resulted in over a million dollars being raised for Port Macquarie Koala Hospital. Maybe, um, maybe we can see some sort of centers of, um, scientific research for future, um, future koala gametes being frozen um, to protect the future of our most beloved koala. Across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you're listening to Lost in Science. It has been over 65 years since the first organ transplant was performed on a human patient when a kidney was transplanted into Richard Herrick from his identical twin brother, Ronald. This was the first time that it was successful. There had been attempts prior to this, uh, but the problems of incompatibility meant that the recipient would reject the transplanted organ in a very short time. Oh, yeah. Um, Richard actually lived for eight years after his uh, successful transplant. Um, 
but prior to that, there'd been very unsuccessful attempts at doing this. Um, the problem of incompatibility was overcome in the Herrix case because of their identical genetic makeup. But the problem of rejection of transplanted organs continues. So in the 1960s, heart, liver and pancreas transplants were successful. And in the 80s, lung and intestinal transplants became successful. Uh, and improvements in medical technology meant rejection was less common. But the other big issue with organ transplants is finding donors. Um, most essential organs are pretty essential for their owners. Uh so the only source in most cases is from deceased donors of these organs. Uh, in some situations, it's possible to partially transplant an organ, such as the liver, but this results in reduced function for both the donor and the recipient of those mm. organs. So one approach to the shortage of organs has been the idea of xenotransplantation. And that is where organs from another animal, such as a pig or a baboon, could be transplanted into a human patient. Right. Um, the theory is that you could use somehow use gene therapy to trick the transplant recipient's body into accepting the new organ, which may probably will require ongoing medication for these xenografts to work, which is what they call them when you transplant mm. an organ from another animal. Now, I'm sure this has been tried before. I remember there being back in like the 80s or 90s, didn't they try that? There was, there's been a whole lot of research into this field. Um, one of the issues that people sort of kept bringing up was that uh, the donor animals have much shorter lifespans than humans, so the organs may not actually last as long as a human organ because it's not really cut out for the job. Um, attempts at xenografts have actually occurred since the early 20th century. Oh, really? Yeah. So um, back in, I think it was 1905, a child's kidney was replaced with, I think, a rabbit's kidney, and it, I... didn't, it didn't work. Okay. Um, so it didn't. It was not successful at all. Also, but I imagine trying these things. I imagine there'd be quite a size disparity there. Well, that's another issue with the with the transplant. You know, idea is you need an organ to be able yeah. to do the work that it needs to do in the body that it's going into. Um, so a lot of further research has gone into the idea of breeding specific genotypes of animals to use for xenotransplantable organs, but the genetic differences are basically too great. So you can't just grab any old animal and stick its organs into a human body. So ultimately, uh, the goal would be to produce animals that have genetically human organs so the issues with transplant rejection could be avoided. So mm. you can actually get another animal to be producing genetically human organs but otherwise carrying on with its uh, ordinary animal life. So in 2010, Stanford University researchers produced a mouse with a rat pancreas, baby steps, or mouse steps, maybe. So you would think, well, what's the difference between a rat pancreas and a mouse pancreas? Well, obviously, they're totally different species. So the fact that they did that is pretty uh, amazing. Uh, and in 2017, at the Salk Institute uh, in California, they produced embryos of pig-human chimeras. Whoa. So there was, uh, they were only embryos. They never got past the embryo stage, and they were pretty much destroyed straight away as yeah, soon as they'd successfully done that. You'd hope so. Um, so Hang on. Back to the rat-mouse situation. Yeah. So that was a mouse, but the only thing ratty about it was its was pancreas. Its pancreas yes. Nothing else. Yes, that is correct. Mm. So 
These pig-human chimeras, a chimera is an organism that has cells of two different individual organisms. Um, they don't happen very often naturally, so this is all pretty much uh, science. But in a paper published in the journal Protein and Cell at the end of November this year, researchers from China report the successful birth of two piglet chimeras with monkey cells in them. Um, by using genetically altered monkey cells that glow, they could track where in the piglet's body these monkey cells were found, and they found them all throughout the piglet's body because they were introduced when it was uh, an embryo. So basically, it was something like 1% of the cells in the piglet's body were monkey cells compared to the rest of them being all pig cells. So did they introduce the cells at the embryonic stage? Yes. Right, I yes. see. Yes. Um, so it's quite different to the um, the work done by that other great um, scientist, Dr. Moreau, who was creating animal-human hybrids yeah, back in the day. Yeah, he, he was also fictional right, as okay. well. But uh, <laughs> so <laughs> um, the, the whole point of them doing this is having whole functional organs within an animal that could then be transplanted into another recipient sure, at like, some point down the track. Like rat pancreas. That's right. So the idea being that if they can introduce monkey cells successfully into these piglets, they could mm. potentially introduce human cells into these piglets. But again, the issue of ethics is pretty massive over this one. And it's um, also, not really... Yeah, they're not just any monkey cells, they're glowing monkey cells as well. Well, that's, yeah, they're genetically modified glowing monkey cells that make a fluorescent protein. So, you know, it's got all the hallmarks of, uh, you know, science fiction horror, really. <laughs> so the team hopes to grow a completely, a complete monkey organ in a pig. So they want to get, you know, some organ of the monkey, like a liver or something like that, that works and have that operating in the pig's body. That's the ultimate goal of this uh, of this team. Um, obviously, there are some issues because both of the piglets that were successfully born actually died within a week. So right. they're not they're they're saying it's not due to the monkey DNA. They're saying it's probably due to their um, in no vitro, one fed them. <laughs> probably due to their in vitro fertilization technology that they're using because it's not actually all that good uh, at getting hmm. baby pigs. But look, it's not obviously not the only uh, problem that they have in, in this. Um, obviously, any further work and any work requiring or, you know, involving uh, human tissue will require a massive amount of, you know, approval and oversight to make sure that people are doing the right thing. Um, but we just might, you know, it might just turn out that altering pig embryos will seem like too much monkey business to continue and that is all we have for this episode of Lost in Science. Lost in Science is, of course, recorded in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And it is broadcast around Australia on the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Broadcasting Corporation. If you'd like to get in touch with us, we would like that too. You can email us at lostinsci at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook. We are Lost in Science on 3CR. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at Lost in Science 1. Or you can find us, well, you can find us on a podcast app. And if you are able to do so and give us a good rating or review, please do that. That would make us feel good. It would also help other people find our program. Or you can just listen to us on the radio if you so choose. Uh, same time every week, Stu, Claire and Chris get 
Lost in Science. Listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.